Media Options is the industry-leading domain broker specializing in domain acquisitions, high-value domain sales, and domain name consultation. As pioneers and thought leaders on the subject of the domain aftermarket and domain name value, plus through their clear domain acquisition service, Media Options offers startups and established corporations an unparalleled scope of high-value domain options, providing access to domain names and curation technologies not available elsewhere. Media Options believes in the power of a great domain name and is dedicated to helping you obtain yours. Call or email today to put a domain to work for you. FD was built by domain investors to increase your inquiries, sales, and profit. Forget spreadsheets and archived emails. Manage your entire investment portfolio in one place using a secure and completely confidential platform. Learn more at FT.com. That's E-F-T-Y, FT.com. Hey, Sherpa Network. Welcome. Uh, today, we are delighted to host CEO and founder of MicroStrategy, Michael Saylor. Most of you know him from his $30 million sale of voice.com. Uh, he was recently in the news making waves as the first public company CEO to switch corporate dollars from U.S. Treasury funds to Bitcoin. Uh, this will be an interesting conversation through his journey from early days of software technology, IT, domains, all the way over to uh, recent news. Media Options CEO Andrew Rosner will be conducting the interview and we'll take it from here. Welcome. To, uh, very, very glad to have you. This is, uh, I believe, going to be a very exciting uh, podcast for the domain industry. Um, you are somewhat of a celebrity, whether you know it or not. Uh, domain Twitter is a bit smaller than uh, crypto Twitter. And I, I, I know you've taken a recent liking to, to crypto Twitter and, you know, reading it and the, uh, the commentary. And there's some, you know, just brilliant minds there. Um, but you're also famous in the domain Twitter world. So, um, I am excited to sort of dig in deeper and, and get inside your head and, and understand the way you think about domain names, because, you know, you, you've got a pretty impressive portfolio of, of generic domain names, uh, that you've owned for a number of years and you're clearly, you know, visionary in, in, in obtaining those. Uh, so I think our audience would love to hear about, uh, you know, your mental model and, and the framework and, and the way you've thought about these things over the years. What was your aha moment? You know, back, well, first off, um, you know, is there anything you want to add in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, your intro and, and, and your background? And I mean, you know, I, I, I sorry, I, I, I keep, you know, diverting, but uh, I, I want to give a little hat tip to uh, Rao Pal and, um, and uh, Pomp. You know, you did an amazing interview with both of them uh, on Real Vision, on a Pomp podcast. Um, and so I take a lot for granted uh, from listening to both of those things that I've already learned from you. And so I don't want to detract from my listeners, but I also don't want to you know, be too redundant. And so I highly encourage everybody to go listen to those interviews on realvision.com and the Palm Podcast. You can find that on YouTube and uh, we will link to those in the show notes. But is there you know, anything else that we should sort of shine a light on? You know, I... I why don't I say things that I didn't say on those podcasts that are relevant to the domain uh, industry? And uh, let, me, uh, let me start with um, one observation. Uh, I was always a big science fiction fan from very mm -hmm. early on, from first grade 
Um, and uh, by the time I was uh, in third grade, I, I was a massive fan of Arthur C. Clarke, Robert Heinlein, and uh, Isaac Asimov. And mm -hmm. so I read everything they wrote. Uh, I eventually, you know, tripped into more modern science fiction. And um, I read, uh, hold on a second, I'm putting on my do not disturb. Okay. Uh, then I read uh, modern uh, works by like uh, William Gibson, Neuromancer, uh, you know, as he introduced mm -hmm. the concept of cyberspace. And that was fascinating to me. And I, I, that led me to have an interest in uh, science and technology. And I ended up uh, getting a degree in uh, astronautical engineering and I studied uh, spaceship design at MIT. And there I met a lot of science fiction fans and I saw the, the creation of the internet. I, I, my fraternity was like the first place they wired for ethernet and they, I, I watched them develop Kerberos and, and uh, Ethernet and the internet and, uh, and they put workstations in there and we just thought this was magic stuff. And I, I was next to a lot of the computer scientists that invented a lot of the, uh, the foundations of what is mm -hmm. modern internet. Um, and that always had an impact on me. Uh, I think that with regard to domain names, the aha moment for me was we first started getting email. And when we got email, I'd started a company, MicroStrategy, mm -hmm. and uh, we needed, a, we needed a, an email address, right? This is before the internet, right? Yeah. And the, and the, the first use of domains were, were for email. They weren't yep. for websites. And so our, we were going to, of course, get MicroStrategy.com. And... Uh, so we got microstrategy.com and I typed in sailor at microstrategy.com, you know, and, um, you know, there's a great uh, quote by St. Exupery, I guess, about design. Uh, when there's nothing left to take away, it's a perfect design or right? something yeah. to that effect. Right. And so I always loved elegance. Uh, it, just, mm -hmm. it just, I don't know. I, you ever see, uh, you ever see a, a a three-year-old that knows how to dance just knows how to dance. I've seen yeah. three-year-olds that know how to dance. It's genetically encoded in them. Yeah. And then I've seen 30-year-olds that took 22 years of dance lessons and they still can't dance. Yes. And, and you know, you, you can't teach it. It's just in you. And so from a very early age, I just appreciated elegance of design. So mm -hmm. when you start typing your email address and you write, Someone says, your, your email address is going to be Michael Saylor at microstrategycorporation.com. I think, no. Uh, M. Saylor at microstrategycorporation. No. Saylor at microstrategycorporation. No. Saylor at microstrategy.com. Uh, okay. But then I said, is there any company named strategy.com? I'm like, I think I'd like that one. And so yeah. I, sent my, uh, I sent my lawyers off hunting around to see if, if where was strategy.com. And obviously in the early day, you could get these things for like 13 bucks. And yeah. if you were smart, you know, you, we got some good ones for whatever the 13 bucks because we, we just figured this is cool. I mean, why wouldn't you? But yeah. um, 
but we, I mean, we didn't get strategy.com for 13 bucks, but I think probably back in the day for like 25 or $50,000, mm -hmm. it used to be people thought $25,000 for a domain name was a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. You would see engineers go, yeah, I got, I got whatever hope.com and I sold it for $27,000 and I got myself a car. I was one of the guys on the other side. Like I was not like mega businessman. We were like, we did $4 million in business in 1994. But $4 million a year was enough that you could slurp up, uh, you know, a number of $25,000 assets. So I don't know the exact date, but between 94 and 2000, we started getting interested and we got strategy.com. And I, you know, I still have the email address sailor at strategy.com. And I thought that was kind of cool. And, you know, because I typed, by the way, I just thought the tyranny of the keyboard was an issue. So I didn't want to type uh, more characters than I needed to type. And um, it's pretty obvious to me that strategy.com was better than microstrategy.com. So then we went on and we thought, well, doc, I mean, everybody was .com back then. We didn't think about .io or .it, yeah. .whatever. I mean, those came later, or .de or dot, you know, fill in the blank. I thought, well, it's kind of obvious. Everything's a .com behind it. There's a word in front of it. We're English. I happen to, you know, I spoke English. I didn't speak Portuguese. I didn't speak Chinese. Not, I wouldn't know how to buy up all the Portuguese, German, French translations if I wanted to. By the way, fast forward 20 years, English is the most important language in the world economy. And over the next 20 years, it emerged to be the 800 pound gorilla of all languages. Yeah. So English and .com became the dominant logical domains for economic commerce. I got, I was lucky. If you to want to be global, born. it was the only choice. You want to be global, there is no other choice. I would say I was lucky to be born an American, speaking English, mm -hmm. at, and come mm -hmm. of age at the time I did. I, coming out of MIT when the internet was getting invented and starting a company when email was getting commercialized just right place, right time, enough money, uh, enough money to be able to buy up some stuff, but uh, you know, not enough that I was distracted chasing after other macroeconomic issues. So right place, right time. And uh, but you intuitively understood that shorter was better. You intuitively understood the function of these things, what they were going to represent. And that if you wanted to conduct commerce online, you needed a place for people to find you and it needed to be intuitive. It's, it started with give someone a memorable email address. Like what, what could be more memorable than Michael at strategy.com or sailor. Michael's even better than sailor, right? Because mm -hmm. sailor, there's multiple. They can spells. mistype. Exactly. So, so, well, there were these hurdles. Can you type it? That's the first hurdle. Well, that's a big hurdle. A lot of people have domains and they have complicated characters and you couldn't type them. And the second mm -hmm. hurdle is, can you spell it? And so a, a name like Hope or a name like Mike or a name like, like uh, Wisdom, it's likely you're not going to misspell it. And then the third hurdle is, can you remember it? 
because I want to meet you in a business meeting or whatever. I want you to be able to contact me. It's by the, way, the principle that pre, was the precursor to this is uh, vanity license plates and vanity phone numbers. It's like, well, Mike, what's your phone number? I'm like 703-444-4444. Oh, I get that. Yeah. Or, or better yet, 444-4444, right? People paid money for a lot of money. Numbers. A lot of money. And, 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 you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because uh, I have a client that, that that is their business, is vanity phone numbers. And uh, those things are still selling for huge money, huge. And, you know, people don't blink an eyelash. I, you know, I, it sort of just fits into the premise that I believe, you know, we're still really in the infancy of this whole internet thing. And, you know, uh, we got hired by, uh, you, you probably remember Hooked on Phonics. Remember Hooked on Phonics works for me, dial 1-800-A-B-C-B-E-F-G. So we got hired by, you know, they went bankrupt. They got sold to a PE firm. They stripped out the assets. They hired us to sell the HOP.com domain name. I sold that to a French airline called Hop. And then I had this, this 1-800 number. They had a whole portfolio of 800 numbers. But the best one was the 1-800-ABCDFG. And that was a lot of fun to try and sell. And ultimately, I sold it to a lawyer. And he said, yeah, I'm going to slap this thing on a billboard. Everybody that drives by at 65 miles an hour, they're going to remember 1-800-ABCDFG. You know, You've it's very easy got, to remember. You've only got and, two seconds. Yeah. Like, like yeah. for example, you couldn't market a phone number 973-1943. You know, because people yeah, what? track their car. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, and by the way, it's, it's like a high frequency thing. I'm going to give you one second. And I, you know, I want you to remember this. Me at hope. Yeah. You know, yeah. something like that. I, are you You're gonna not going to forget. In the early 90s, um, these domains were handles to email. Mm -hmm. And so that was the first usage. And we didn't contemplate any other... But that was enough because we thought email was going to replace surface mail and, and uh, we wanted a handle. And then around 94, people started working on this internet thing. And by 96, it was kind of, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in Northern Virginia and, you know, UUNet was coming out of Northern Virginia and, you know, and, and, uh, and all the domain registries and so some of the earlier, more uh, innovative people are just social friends of my friends, and they come to my office, and they're pitching me on this internet, this web thing. Yeah. I started looking, and I realized, oh, well, so now microstrategy.com can be our website. And then I'm like, well, I'd rather, I got another reason to type it, and that was before Google or anything else, right? It's like, how do you find this thing? So now domains became a handle to a website. And I think that kind of kicked me from low gear to yeah. high gear. I'm like, okay, now I want to go by. And then like over the, you know, I sent guys off on a, um, on a hunt, you know, and I, and I was like, find every English name that I can put a business on. So by 1995, it was very evident to me that these are awesome assets. So we went and we bought Angel. Mm -hmm. I mean, Angel, like it's like godlike, right? I mean, I didn't, yeah. I couldn't buy God, but I mean, I thought Angel was better than God. God's a little bit presumptuous, whereas Angel, yes. yeah, much. <clears throat> and then we bought Alarm, and then we bought Alert, and then we, you know, we bought Strategy, and we bought Wisdom, and we bought Courage, 
and we bought hope. We're buying, we bought, we're, and we bought glory. So we're yep. buying positive English words with a positive, with a connotation. Then we started working on names. And I, you know, I thought, go buy Michael. I'm Michael. So yep. I bought Michael. And then I'm like, and then, and they kind of, they go, hey, we actually found a dude that'll sell us Mike. You want, I'm like, yeah, I want that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm lazy. My, you know, four letter word, you know, that, Michael, Michael, and a lot of people can't spell Michael. They can spell Mike. Yeah. And it's, and it's like three fewer keystrokes. So we bought Emma and William. William is my father's name. You know, so I was buying my name. I was buying my father. We bought Frank. And uh, then we bought Arthur. Much to the chagrin of uh, one of the most iconic domain investors, Frank Schilling. I'm sure, uh, you know, it's been much to his chagrin that you've got Frank.com. I'm, wa I'm waiting for the right off. Or maybe we'll go into business together, like creating cybernetic AI Franks. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, yeah, then we picked up Speaker. I thought Speaker was kind of cool. And, uh, you know, and then they worked, those were all the primary ones, single words, either one syllable or two syllable positive connotation names or, or uh, characteristics or, or ideas. Um, mm -hmm. And then we started picking up like secondary things, you know, like microstrategy in every single domain, microstrategy.de, microstrategy.fr, microstrategy.it. And then we buy all these other things. Then we, and we bought iDream. We thought, you know, I, I was waiting for Apple, right, to come and have an iPhone, iDream, i something. Yeah. You know, as you put other qualifiers, my wisdom, my space, uh, these become secondary and, and, you could do some, but I'm just not so enthusiastic about them. They're, they're just a lot the, harder. Uh, oh, I left favorite. out voice. We bought oh, voice. Yeah. And I, I don't know. We, must have, we might have spent $100,000, $200,000. I don't know exactly, but it was, not, it was not enough money that by the time I bought it, did it even register with me. Yeah. Like the sum total of all of these domains, if we spent $2 million on all of them together, I don't think it was yeah. $3 million. It might have been $2 million divided into 15 or, or 20 awesome ones. So a hundred grand for a piece for the awesome ones. And then yeah. picked up thousands of secondary ones, primarily just to keep people from squatting on cyberspace near us and then rerouting traffic. Yep. And so, you know, you spent one, two million bucks buying up the 20, you know, absolute lights out, top notch names, tier one, right? Uh, you turn around, you sell voice.com, 30 million bucks. Uh, what is that? 20 years later? 20 I didn't years later. exactly turn around. And no, say, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I bought it and, and I huddled it. I, yes. I held it in my treasury on the balance sheet. And 20 years later, I finally found, I finally found someone motivated but, uh, but our, intent, our intent was not to sell these things. That's not why we bought them. No, cl clearly, and, right? And, you, you built out angel.com. You turned that into a commercial business. You sold to that. Develop, to develop them as businesses. Yep. And that's what we did for the 20 years. So, for example, exactly. if we roll the clock back, <clears throat> we built a business on strategy.com uh, back in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. And it was personalized intelligence. 
you go and you subscribe, you give us your, uh, your interest in stocks or weather. It was, it was like we did personalization before Google and Apple 20 years before they did. So like I would say, Andrew, where do you live? What stocks do you follow? What subjects are you interested? I'll generate personal news, personal finance, personal weather, personal traffic, right? We, we had all those ideas uh, and, uh, and we launched a business around it and we had some interesting success with it. Um, <clears throat> then we, um, back in like 98, 99, I had, uh, I had a friend, uh, and uh, she told me the story of someone breaking into her house. And uh, she lived in Arlington, Virginia. <clears throat> and uh, she said, someone broke into my house. She ran into her room. She locked the door and, and she was like hostage in her room for two hours. Um, you know, and this is, I'm trying to remember, do we have mobile phones? We didn't really have a lot of mobile phones. Maybe she had a phone and she called a friend who eventually came two two hours later, and then the the burglar or whatever left her home. But it was a very off, yeah. horrific story, and I started thinking, why can't we actually create home alarm systems, plug them into the internet, so that if she was actually in her house, she could have just put yeah a a, a motion detector would have gone off. By the way. Wouldn't you want a motion detector to go off and tell you while you're at the office that someone's in your house before you go home? And so I had this idea that there's the internet thing, and then there's alarms, and the alarms are not on the internet. And the, you know, and, and okay, this is not a, it's kind of a straightforward thing for a techie to think, put the alarm on the internet. Yeah. And that was the genesis of the idea for alarm.com. <clears throat> I thought, we're gonna create a company, that's going, to, uh, that's going to allow people uh, to, to take all of their heat uh, fire detectors, motion detectors, glass breakage detectors, uh, alarm systems, plug it in the internet, tie it, use the ideas we had of like uh, alerts to a personal alert. Remember the word alert, by the way, that all ties in. Alerts to your phone if someone goes in your house based upon uh, an alarm system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so we created alarm.com and we launched a business uh, doing home automation. And this is 1999. Okay. And you know, you can read headlines about Amazon doing it last week and yeah. Google doing it last week and Apple doing it last week. Okay. So by the way, this is a segue just cause you have the idea first and you have 20 million dollars or 10 or whatever to put behind doesn't mean you're going to win the market yeah. uh, being, being er yeah being early is just about the same as being wrong it's you have to but, have the, but idea. the underlying theme here that ties all this together is that you know I, I, I would argue you've been incredibly visionary across all of these fields that you've sort of dabbled in um, and you know, from what I understand, from some listening to some of the other interviews, at some point you just said, you know, look, I, focus is is my key. Uh, but you know, what I want to dive into is like, what was it that, you know, what was the intuition that gave you that vision of, of course, we should be tying home alarm systems to the internet. You know, of course, we should be creating these, you know, personalized you know, call it AI, call it service, 
you know, uh, uh, alert systems. Uh, you know, what was it? What, why did you see that stuff? And then, you know, I want to segue into, you know, some of the more recent stuff. Um, I'm, I was always a technologist first, right? By, by first grade, I was reading science fiction. Um, when I went to MIT, I got another degree while I was getting a degree in aeronautics and astronautics. And the second degree was in uh, the history of science. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of time reading about how science radiation, antibiotics, aviation, uh, railroads, transportation networks, communication networks, oil, energy, how all steel, gun, guns, germs, and steel, that's stuff that got yeah. popular. That's all I thought about, you know, f from a very early age. What's the impact of all these things on civilization and economics and the like? So it was kind of, it was baked into me. And of course, MIT does stand for Institute of Technology. I mean, we all, everybody I went to school, like we all thought nonstop about how the world was going to change based on technology. So, so that, that was but kind on of- that, On that point, you know, I want to push back a little bit because, you know, our business, Media Options, we're a domain brokerage firm. And what I do all day long is, uh, and, and we really only focus on, let's say, the top 2% of, of dot-com domain names. And so by definition, all day long, every day, I'm speaking with the smartest, brightest, most successful entrepreneurs, investors, executives worldwide, everyone from, you know, Amazon to, uh, you know, a, a venture backed startup. And I got to say, I mean, you know, a lot of these guys, they went to Stanford, they went to MIT, they went to Harvard, they went to Yale. Very few of them understand the implications of some of these technologies, be it Bitcoin, be it domain names, you know, be it any of these sort of uh, uh, regime changes in technology, uh, paradigm shifts, very few of them actually grasp the implications and very even less of them do anything about it. Okay, so Andrew, uh, that, that um, reminds me of something I forgot to say. <laughs> While I was reading science fiction, I also stumbled across fantasy. And the most famous magazines were science fiction and fantasy magazine. I mm -hmm. think that a lot of people are linear thinkers and engineering thinkers, and they just think about the engineering uh, implications, and they don't think about the fantastical impl mm -hmm. the implications. So they don't have the creativity. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I illustrated this in my book, The Mobile Wave. You know, and I wrote that in 2012, and I wrote about what happens when a product or service dematerializes to software? And I think that if you're only a science fiction fan, and if you're only an engineer, you're living in a Newtonian universe, and it's, it's constraining. Okay, but here, here's the idea. You're not a technologist. You toss a baseball on a field, it's subject, mm -hmm. to, it's subject to the universe you've grown up in. There's friction, there's gravity, the baseball yep. falls to the turf after about 100 to 300 feet. That's mm -hmm. the conventional thinker. Now I convert the baseball, the entire exercise into software, but I think with a engineer's focus, mm -hmm. call, you know, call that science fiction, and I, and I think, well, if I was tossing that baseball in outer space, that would just keep going. Yeah, 
that's going to go around the earth uh, forever. Yeah. Right. In a ballistic orbit, you know, subject to all the, all the gravitational pull around it. Okay. That's more interesting. But Andrew, if I read fantasy and if I read, uh, I read uh, all the fantastical things written along with science fiction, my mind opens up a bit and I say, you know, I'm going to toss that baseball and it's going to convert itself into a dragon. And that dragon is going to burn down my enemy and it's going to flip into a million white doves, fly circles around me. They're going to land and they're going to sing a beautiful symphony by Mozart while I bask in the glow of fabulous. <laughs> okay. That's fantasy. Okay. Yeah. It's a magic baseball. It's not constrained by the, by the laws of time and space and anything. So when you think about everything as dematerializing into software, first you say, what can, I, what can I do from an engineering point of view? Then you say, what if it was a magic baseball? And, uh, and so I guess most people that are conventional thinkers, well, they can't imagine throwing the baseball through a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And, and if they can, if they're just an engineer and if they didn't study the liberal arts and they didn't, they didn't you know, read the works of Tolkien and think about elves and dwarves and, and the like, they can't really conceptualize the rest. And by the way, there's a very important, uh, there's an important idea in the world of fantasy. Okay. And it's very relevant to domains. And you, and you, you caused me to think about it. You triggered it. It's... In the world of fantasy, there's the concept of demons, and the, you know, and a demon will come and it'll kill you, burn your town down, take everything you have, make your life living hell. And the most important thing is don't mention its name. What's the name of the devil, right? Every demon's mm-hmm. got a name. You summon the demon with the name. They're always listening. If you know the name of the demon, you can summon it. If you don't yes. know the name of the demon, you can never summons it, uh, and it will be listening, but, but Lord help you if you mention that name. And so what's in a name, right? We're back to this idea. And this becomes really important in the modern world of, of, of high cardinality search. And I, I'll give you the example like on Alexa. Mm-hmm. You know, if I, you know, we started with a domain name is a handle for email. You're going to type it and you're looking on a business card. And then it became a handle for a website and you're going to type it into a web browser. What happens when I have no hands? And I tell Alexa, Alexa, Google, Google domain name blank, Google MicroStrategy, Google Michael Saylor, right? I have no hands. I'm speaking. Okay, so speech is is a is a technology. Well, you eliminate the need for Google if you have a name that's recognizable, right? You 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 don't you just cut Google out and say, Siri, take me to Apple.com. Siri, take me to Strategy.com. Siri, take me to Glory.com or Hope.com. Right? I think this the the, the semantically meaningful and very easy to say, uh, very difficult to confuse. Uh, these types of domain names become critically important to to verbal search i use the phrase there's a word for that yeah right there's a word for that learn your words and um if you're talking to an ai you could say how many words in the english language 
It's a lot. The English language has yeah. more words than any other language in the history of the world, and we keep adding words. So is that, is that true? That is true. That is okay. true. You can you can Google that. There's no English there's no language with more words than the English language. The English language became the language of science because we invented so many words, and you need yeah. so many specialized words to describe. For. Yeah. And, and and it's a it's a very important reason why the English language is if I had to guess, 80% of all the economic value on earth flows mm -hmm. through the English language, and that's meaningful mm -hmm. for domains. We come back to that in a second. I, I could talk for hours about English yeah. and the like, but, but the more important point is I'm talking to Alexa and there's 500,000 words, okay? Which of the, I have to remember the word. There are companies that have uh, names, and their names are misspellings. Yeah, it's, they, they try to get cute. They try to get cute, and they think that they're saving themselves money. But over time, they're just costing themselves, you know, an irreparable, you know, it, it's an irreparable leak in the dam. You know? Okay. It, it, Let, let's take Lyft, right? Yeah. Is Lyft L-I-F-T, or is Lyft L-Y-F-T? And if you're talking to Alexa, and you say, you know, I'm interested in Lyft, or I'm interested, you know, I want a Lyft. It's like mm -hmm. you've created an ambiguity, and and then now you have to spell it. Now imagine you created a hurdle. You created this huge hurdle, but this is lost on so many people. They don't understand that. That you know, you say, hey Alexa, take me to Lyft.com. That isn't going to take you to Lyft. It's going to take you to Lift.com, right? And now Andrew. Let's go back. Let's go back to a basic principle. How many people on the earth today studied English in mm -hmm. school? Because a it's got to be at least a billion, right? Yeah. Okay. And if you're, you're, there's probably a billion people that speak English fluently. And then if you're anybody else, right? Seven billion people on earth. If you're anybody else that wants money, mm -hmm. you've got to learn English. Okay, yeah. one of the basic principles is English is the ultimate. Uh, it's probably more than a billion people. If you think about all of the people in the Philippines and in India and in China, those three countries alone, uh, never mind Africa, where, you know, I, I, I don't know what the percentages are, but it's got to be a very high percentage that, are, that, are, that, that learn English in order to engage with this global economy. Yeah, and I've traveled everywhere in the world, and I do business just about everywhere in the world where there's money, right? I mean, serious <laughs> of money. You know, I, don't, yeah. I don't sell cheap software; it's expensive. Yeah. But, yeah. but you know, where where people can afford to buy it, we do business. And here is what I observe have observed: if I go to a, a non-English speaking country, those people that speak English fluently, if you're a cab driver and you speak mm -hmm. English fluently you get paid triple, mm -hmm. like I'll hire you for triple what the, what the cab driver that, that speaks the local language pays. Mm -hmm. if, if you're uh, any kind of white collar worker and you speak English, you're you know, in China. The differential between someone that knows how to code software and speaks English and someone that knows how to code software and doesn't speak English mm -hmm. is easily a factor of two. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, so if every kid uh, in America just to, I mean, my, my assistant makes three times what the average wage would be for her, you know, uh, demographic, uh, yeah. simply because she speaks English well. And 
otherwise, you know, she's going to do the same job as somebody else that doesn't require English speaker and she's going to earn a third. I mean, we could, I don't know the exact number, but I think that the uplift is somewhere between 2x and 3x mm -hmm. on average everywhere on earth. In some places, it could be 5x to 10x mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're in difficulty. And so imagine if we told every kid in America that if you spoke Spanish, we would double your wages at age 22. Yeah. Well, what if I told you I was going to triple your salary at age 22 if you spoke Spanish? Yeah. What do think happens next? Right? A lot of but, people speak Spanish. By the way, I, I live in Miami Beach, and there's an economic benefit to speaking Spanish in Miami Beach because mm -hmm. you can, you can uh, manage and acquire uh, labor and products, uh, services, yeah. products in England. And, and Sp you can hire people to speak Spanish and they'll work for you. Yeah. Or you can sell to people. So on both sides of the transaction, you speak Spanish. And thus, there's a lot of Americanos that grew up speaking English and they make Spanish their second language because they have an yeah. academic incentive. So, so English becomes that incredibly powerful thing. Now, I, there's got to be a billion, but maybe there's billions of people that have taken it. By the way, here's another one. Uh, I have a, a sailor.org, uh, free education for the world. Uh, that's yeah. my channel. If you go to sailor.org, we give away education. We're trying to give away a college degree to the entire earth for free. We mm -hmm. got, uh, we have 500,000 students so far have come. Wow. 70,000 students a quarter. And wow. uh, what do you think is the single most popular course we offer, Andrew? English is a second language. English, ESL. English is a second language. You nailed it. The most popular course in the world across everywhere. Everybody yeah. wants to learn English as a second language because they want the money. The economic benefit. And, and I could boil it down to, if you sell anything in English, you're going to get paid more. If you're purchasing anything in English, you're going to buy it for less. English mm -hmm. is the most liquid market. Now, uh, just to highlight that very clearly with domain names, yeah. uh, I want to give an example. And then I want to come back to one of the first principles okay. that we, we, we were discussing. So, you know, Spanish, Spanish word, right? So Spanish, second largest, uh, or, or even it might even be most spoken language in the world, uh, but certainly not the greatest economic benefit. But, you know, a Spanish domain name, it, it, you can have, uh, uh, you know, we owned Vida.com, V-I-D-A, Vida.com, life in Spanish. Very Pretty powerful. good word. if you're a Spaniard. Pretty right good, right? Sold that for a lot of money, but at, at best, a tenth, or it could have been a hundredth of what the value of life.com is, even ignoring the IP that's been created by Life Magazine and, and, and the media enterprise. But, it, you know, it just is what it is. The, the economic benefit of life.com is at a minimum 10x and potentially 100x greater than the economic benefit of the same exact word in Spanish. Both have four letters, you know, very easy to spell. They, you know, consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, you know, all, all the same attributes other than one is Spanish and one is English. Yeah, I want to come back to this idea of vaporization of everything because I believe Fundamentally, my, my thesis on the value of domain names is that domain names are the proxy for commercial real estate on the internet. And I, I you know, you, you said something about how you take everything and, and, and basically you take it from its physical form, vaporize it, turn it into software, and you're creating, you know, 
you're unlocking just tremendous amounts of value and attributes that didn't previously exist. And so I think, you know, we're witnessing this implosion of commercial real estate. Um, and I believe, whether you agree or not, that that value that's being, you know, uh, uh, displaced from commercial real estate is being replaced in the digital real estate and in the digital economy. What do you think? Do you think that that same logic that you're using from, um, uh, you know, physical economy to, you know, software economy, does that apply to domain names? Is it the physical <clears throat> real estate being vaporized into digital real estate? Okay, Andrew, I, mm -hmm. I would use the word dematerialize because it's, because I like it when my superheroes dematerialize and they walk through walls. Yes. But like when they vaporize, it makes me a bit it's, nervous. Yeah, yeah, negative but, connotation. But uh, but I think that the that the theme for the last you know thirty years, but certainly for the past ten years, is the dematerialization of everything. And so mm -hmm. Apple can be explained as the dematerialization dematerialization mm -hmm. of every mobile device: your camera, your phone, yes. you know your your uh, your video recorder, your television, they're all just, your books, they're all, your magazines, they're dematerializing onto an Apple device. And um, Facebook is the dematerialization of your social relationships. Exactly. The conversion of an intangible into a tangible yes. in the form of software. And uh, you, you see this, you know, Amazon is the dematerialization of the retail storefront. Yes. Right into the Amazon store. Uh, Bitcoin is the dematerialization of bricks gold. of gold and then yeah. digital gold. And then just anything that's a store of value, property as value dematerializing into coin. Domains are the dematerialization of right now commercial real estate mm -hmm. like uh i i don't you know if you look at commercial real estate or commercial and yeah commercial real estate for the most part dematerializing into domains and if you take an example obviously you know you see 90 percent of the retail stores going away and you have to find them on cyberspace and yeah everybody just thinks i can just go find them at amazon in order for Amazon to dematerialize all of those retailers, they had to they had to enter all those categories. So any category that Amazon couldn't enter legally, there's a lot of categories that, that or they can't enter legally or technically or logistically, then those exist as their own uh, businesses and they have not been mm -hmm. eaten by Amazon. But if Amazon could do it, they would do it. And that's definitely their intent. Now, if, if you look at just what's happened in the past six months, we're going through what I call a virtual wave. And that's what comes after the mobile wave. And the virtual wave is, is the dematerialization of most, most of our traditional sales, marketing, and services techniques in, in the world. If it could be dematerialized, it got, mm -hmm. it's getting dematerialized. So in our business, 80% of our marketing got dematerialized to either streaming on-demand videos on the website mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or it got dematerialized to zoom and mm -hmm. so 
Zoom is the equivalent of, of dematerialized sales. I'm having a meeting with you one-on-one. -on -one. Yep. But dematerialized marketing is like, you're going to take this, record this, upload it to the web, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going to have a meeting with the two of us. They're going to be sitting yeah. in the room. So, you know, the idea that you're going to, Three years ago, you might have invited me to, to Lisbon uh, so that I could give a speech in front of 500 people in a room, and it would have cost everybody half a million dollars to participate yeah. in that. And this year, you're going to invite me to a one-and-a-half-hour conversation that cost us both a nickel, and you're going to publish it, and maybe it'll stream to 87,000 people, and we're just keeping the marketing money. However... The value creation of that is just, it, 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 I mean, that's an entire conversation in, in and of itself, but it's just like, okay, so, you know, you didn't fly, I didn't have to pay for, you know, you to come as a speaker, cover your cost. We, you know, all these people didn't have to buy a ticket, come sit in the room. You know, we weren't limited by space. We weren't limited by time. You know, it was like all of this stuff just got dematerialized and instantly created just an immense amount of value. <clears throat> And now, and now the question is, how do my customers get to me if, if I can't go face-to-face -to, -face to them, if I can't have a symposium, if I can't go to a trade mm -hmm. show, can't knock on their door? And, and by mm -hmm. the way, the, the, the first answer is, oh, yeah, maybe I ought to do some of this YouTube stuff or maybe I ought to do some Google stuff or some Facebook stuff. But let me tell you, Andrew, I have spent $20 million in 12, you know, a matter of 12 months, I've blown through $20 million buying Facebook and Google ads and got nothing. Yeah. Blown $20 million into the toilet, right? Like the amount of money I spent buying digital advertising, it's horrific and, and, and painful. And, and then I start thinking, well, I can just post stuff on YouTube, but what if they take it down? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right? So, is Bank of America or, you know, is any brand, is Amazon going to use YouTube and Google as their distribution channel? And the answer is you need to own, by using someone else as your distribution channel is, Terrible like, idea. is like paying for a day by day, week by week lease on someone else's real estate to set up your pop-up lemonade stand. You and don't own the there. data. You don't own the relationship. You can be turned off at any time. Welcome to the cancel culture, right? It's like I, all of these things are dovetailing, uh, you know, in, in, into into my thesis. It's like so, <laughs> you want to you want to build a brand. You know, all these influencers, like you know, okay, great. You know, you got a hundred thousand followers on Instagram or on Twitter or whatever it might be. That's you great, right? Tomorrow morning, you wake up and they just shut you off. You didn't like what you had to say, right? It's, it's, somebody, somebody complained and, and that's it. You're over. And now what? Right? Now, if you were taking those people and you were driving them to a property that you own, at least a good portion of them are going to be sticky. And now you have their contact. You got an email address. You got, you know, the data. You got the relationship. They know where to find you when you get turned off. I, I think people have rediscovered the criticality of owning their own domain. If you're yes. going to do business, COVID on, was good for that. I don't on a, for, if you're going to do business in the virtual age, you have to do it. You have to sell, market, and service all your product and all your value proposition through your own domain. Yes. 
and you need the email of the customer. Email has become paramount, more important than ever, because mm -hmm. you can bypass every other mediator, Facebook, Twitter, Google, you know, Microsoft, everybody, LinkedIn, everybody under the sun can cut you off. But if you have the email and you have that relationship, they can't cut you off. So now you just realize, much to your horror, that if you've got a corporate name that no one can spell, no one can remember, and no one can type, then your customers can't find you. It's like taking your bank branch and putting it on the panhandle of Alaska at the end of a road, you know, lacking that last bridge. To yeah, get or, or, or let's put an obstacle course in front of the front door at Walmart, right? Like, you know, here, we're going to let you park about a kilometer away, and then we're going to create an obstacle course before you're able to enter the door. You know, how many of your, how many of your shoppers you're going to lose? I, I think it's, and it was, it was always evident that Walmart was a 20th century name and brand because they spelled it W-A-L-M-A-R-T. And so if you were to ask a focus group of 100 people to go to walmart.com, they would have all spelled it differently. Some with the dash, totally. little curve, some with the space, some with- Some with a double L. And, you get, and so eventually they realized they should just go with W-A-L-M-A-R-T. But even that's not nearly as good as picking, because Walmart is not a name. Now, now I want to go back to a point we skipped over. When your first grade teacher spanked you for misspelling your words, and then your second grade teacher spanked you for misspelling your words, and then you got that 12 years in a row, how many hours do you think have been invested in this civilization to teach the current 1 billion richest people to speak English how to spell? Yeah. Would you care to actually estimate? By the way, let's turn uh, it around. Eight, hour, eight hours a day, you know, 12, hour, uh, 12, 12 years. It's a lot of, it's a lot of hours. Those, those billion people spent 2,000, well, let's say 1,000 hours a year times a billion so they spent a trillion hours, hours times 12. Yeah. So by the way, maybe times 16, but let's say times 12. 12 trillion hours were spent figuring out how to spell the name properly. And then I, I used to get a kick out of these idiot marketing consultants and they would come in and their idea was, yeah, your name is strategy, but but we can't trademark strategy because it's been in English language for 500 years and it's written in 100 million billion books. So we're going to spell it S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-I. -I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, are you thinking? You Just idiot. Leave. Leave. You idiot. <laughs> yes, it's in a billion books. And a trillion hours got spent teaching everyone with money how to spell it this way. And you yeah. want me to launch a company, and I will not name the companies, but Andrew, you can go and find all the companies who came up with these unique lift. They're cute, cute no, names. Cute, cute names, misspelled. But what you're doing is you're fighting against 12 trillion hours Uphill of battle. indoctrination. And you have, you know, what you're saying, it's very offensive. Flip, flip, flip that, right? It's like, yeah, you know, if you launch strategy.com, staying with that example, you're a household name on day one. 
day one, day one, every single human being on earth that speaks the English language knows your brain. Okay, your now, household Andrew, name. now Andrew, I want to tell you something else funny. This is like, it, it was just, it's just so obvious in my court. If you'd asked me at age three, does it make sense to misspell the name of the, you know, the word so I can market on it? I would be like, no, no, not so obvious. But listen, think about this for a second. I, I used to get in these fights with these marketing consultants. Like someone wants to spend $100,000 to tell you how to misspell your brand yeah. and trademark it. And that, by the lawyers would back them up. Like, okay, get the lawyers out of my the face. Same guy the marketing. Same you are out of your mind to spend 100 grand to buy strategy.com. You must be out of your mind. You can't you spend 100 grand with me to misspell it. And then spend a hundred million dollars on an ad campaign to market a misspelling of an English word. But, but Andrew, I just want to tell you, like, like this is the ultimate irony. That was before, you know, I knew it was a bad idea when you had to type it, right? Because 95% of the people can't type, you know, disambiguation, you know? Yeah, it's hard yeah. to type complicated words, and it's, and it's really hard to type words that are misspelled. You have to look at them and, and type because you're learning them for the first time. Yes. But this is the joke, Andrew. Like this is the big one, right? This is the crippling one. When Apple and Google got smart enough and Microsoft finally got their software to be magical, the software won't let you misspell words. Yeah. So I start typing your misspelled effed up brand and it keeps auto-correcting it back yeah. to the right English. Yeah, so, do it three times, you just get there. But sometimes I just can't get there, Andrew. Yeah, like, like, I, I can't give up. Try on your little mobile yeah. phone, typing a misspelling into the web browser, and it keeps kicking you out. And so these guys outsmarted themselves by a long shot because, and by the way, think about it. If there's 500,000 words in the English language, you really got to invent a new word? I've seen companies, I'm not going to name them because I don't want to embarrass anybody. I've seen companies that actually took a positive English word that, that was uh, a virtue and they misspell it like in some cute way so that yeah. they can trademark it. Yeah. The, if you go on Google and you, and you type in the word properly, you get 175 million hits. It, like, it hits. It resonates. If you go on Google and you type their name the way they spell it, well, half time Google says tries to auto-correct you and take you mm -hmm. to the other place. Yeah. Right? Wrong. Because right. They, so, did you be, mean? You must have made a mistake trying to go yeah. there. Right? You yeah. must have made a mistake. But if you, if, and then if you say no and you deny and you misspell it and you type it, you get 1.7 million hits, which means that the word is 100 times less popular when they, but, and these are companies with a billion dollars of revenue behind them mm -hmm. or billions of dollars of revenue. It's like that, you know, it's like the brilliance of, Okay. Of uh, I have a name that is impossible to pronounce. He who you cannot pronounce. Well, that's real great, but how am I supposed to market you on my radio show? Yeah. You know? So, so you know, 
this is a great segue into uh, you know voice.com. Easy, e easy name to spell. You know, just phenomenal, I I massive implications from telecom to you know giving people a social voice, which is ultimately what it's being used for now or will be. Uh, you know, so many different avenues to go down to commercialize that name. Um, when you sold voice.com uh, a little over a year ago, uh, when the announcement came out, we were actually all uh, us being the domain industry here in Lisbon. We were celebrating our NamesCon, the, the annual domain conference. And um, uh, Frank Schilling, the guy I mentioned earlier, who's probably jealous he doesn't have frank.com, uh, was up on stage uh, with somebody from GoDaddy. And you know, they, they started talking about uh, the voice.com sale. And uh, as Frank so correctly said, uh, the only way to sell a domain name for $30 million is to say no to $25 million. And so I want to understand your mental model around value. How do you assign a, a, a numerical value <clears throat> to a domain name? I want to, you know, first as a seller, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, flip it on you and talk about it as a buyer. Um, so, uh, so uh, interesting uh, clarification or, or an inside fact. I didn't say no to 25 million. I said no to 20 two million yeah yeah that was the exact number and and uh equally and impressive they about well and the way i said it was i won't take 22 million my number's 30 million but i will talk to you and explain to you and so that you know at the 22 million dollar point i agreed to meet with the buyer and explain mm -hmm. to them why it was worth more my second observation is, uh, is again, we don't really buy these things to sell these things. We buy these things to build a business on these things. So it's not, not our, our, our idea to sell them. I'd much rather uh, commercialize them. But uh, when, when somebody throws out, 22 million on the table, you know, you have to make a decision of, you know, what is this thing worth to me? When What's the opportunity cost? Yeah, when we think about you know what kind of business could be could be built on these things and how valuable they will over time, I, you know one of my uh, most simple frameworks is well, I mean first you start with the economic density in the English language compared to every other language, and mm -hmm. I think the conclusion is <clears throat> if you stack up all the languages, seventy to eighty percent of the economic density in the world is is in English. It just, mm -hmm. it, it, and by the way, I mean, if you look at the, there's this Western net, which is Western Europe, United States, English, US dollars convertible into euros, running on American US technology, the internet, TCP IP, right? Dominated by big tech. That Western net is something on the order of 75% of everything on earth, right? And then there's like China to get their own, the China net. Yeah, and then, yeah. So that everything kind of, you know, falls off. So for, first of all, you look at that and it, and English is the surrogate for the Western net. The second thing you ask is what's the economic density in the, in the actual domain.com versus .de. Mm -hmm. And that's another long tail where I think 75, you have to look at the economic density of everything. Flowing we've we've done the math it, 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 by our estimates and by our, uh, uh, you know, the criteria that we're evaluating. We say, you know, I'm looking at names that 
most people would argue are worth $25,000 or $50,000 or more, right? And everything else is sort of circumstances. And we believe there's roughly 50,000 domain names that have that inherent value. That's it, 50,000. 8 billion people on earth. I don't know how many businesses. 50,000 English domains which have an inherent value. Yeah, not, it's not that much. Uh, I mean, you're right. There, there aren't that many that are really valuable. And that's because once you, once you discard or once you focus upon the 80% that's English, and then you realize something like 80% is in the .com domain because of Google.com and Amazon.com and Trillions Apple. of dollars that have right. been ingrained into the public. Right. And, and, and you realize that's the gravitational pull. And then you count the number of clicks and the, the amount of traffic going through <clears throat> those .com domains. Now the question is, you know, to the left of the .com, what's the word? Mm -hmm. And common sense says you want it to be a short word with positive connotation that's spellable. Yes. And so it's either, a, it's either an, idea, an idea or it's a place or it's a thing or it's a person, you know, and, and michaeljsailor.com, not nearly so valuable. Sailor.com, a lot more valuable, but michael.com michael is like either the first or the second most popular yeah. name for men for by the way when god is busy when he's busy in heaven michael takes over yeah. michael's the archangel in the entire christian ethos he's the number two guy in heaven it's yeah. a pretty important but it's an important name two thousand years ago it's been an important yeah. name and it, and it translates as the most important name in every other language, right? And there's Michelangelo, and there's mm -hmm. Michael Jordan. There's a lot of Michael Jackson. There's a lot of Michaels. But ultimately, Michael the Archangel is pretty important. And so, and Emma, the ultimate matchmaker in the Jane Austen book, is like every girl grew up thinking, Emma, she's, the, she's my hero, right? So you, wanna, you want a name that everybody remembers. It resonates with everybody, and it's positive. Yes. You know, by the way, I think... You know, as an aside, when we when we sold voice for thirty million dollars, I think we beat like it was like sex.com that was yeah. eleven million or something. Yeah. I was like, I'd rather 13, sell voice yeah. than sell sex. Totally. Right? I, I get why it went for so much, but but you couldn't have sold sex.com to a legitimate global two thousand company with a hundred billion dollar balance sheet. Yeah. Disney's and, and at the end of the day, I'd argue that it's overpriced because as ubiquitous as the word sex is and as you know it, you know it, ultimately what you're trying to do is create you know an emotional response with any of these branding and marketing tactics right so you know it does that but very hard to commercialize right it, porn is free i mean you know very few people paying for it so tough tough names i think to justify that like price the issue is what you know what brand could you put this is domains or real estate and cyberspace and they're really like a block on Central Park in Manhattan, yes. right? Like, but the, the thing that you realize if you travel around the world, like you, you start by thinking every state is equal to every other state and I gotta have a salesperson in every city in America. And then you go to New York and you realize that half of everything in the country is in New York, is in New York yeah. City. Like, okay, you don't really, if, you, if half of your sales force was in New York and the other half was spread around everywhere else, yeah. that would be economically rational. 
And if you look at the value of real estate, it's like, oh, half of all the real estate value is in New York City. So yeah. this is like owning, you know, all of New York, you know, on Central Park, if you own, you know, some of these words. And if you go back to your 50,000 words, right, there's probably like 50,000 blocks or maybe totally. your 50,000 words are like the most valuable one block in London, New York, separate, the most valuable cities. Now, I, I'm going to give you a, um, a more technical way to, to value these things, the way that mm -hmm. I, I do it. Great. That's what I want to hear. You give me a word, uh, voiceofthepeople.com. Mm -hmm. And I go and I, and I start to Google in quotes, voice of the people on Google, and I count the number of hits. And that'll tell you how frequently voice of the people pops up or whatever. Now, if you go Google right now, voice.com on Google, on a browser, you will get 2.2 billion hits. Voice, not, not the .com, but just Sorry, the word voice. Just, just, yeah, just Google voice. That's what I meant. Yeah. The yeah. word voice will get 2.2 billion hits. Yeah. What, what you'll see is that first tier words or first tier domains, in my opinion, uh, get a billion or more hits on the word. If you Google Michael, you will get billion, like a, two billion hits or something. If you Google William, if you Google Mike, you'll get a billion hits. If you Google Hope, you'll get more than a billion hits. If you Google words like Usher, you'll get 500 million hits. Or, you know, you'll get in the hundreds of millions. When you start to go and Google esoteric names, mm -hmm. you can Google companies that are $100 billion revenue companies around for 30 years and you'll get 79 million hits. Yeah. You know, and you'll fall below 100 million. Uh, you can Google a billion dollar company and you'll get 17 million hits. You'll get mm -hmm. 7 million hits. And so, and, and what does that mean? Well, when you buy the word or, or when you wrap, put, build your business on the domain, uh, say voice, you're leaping ahead of 2.2 billion pages on the Google search engine. And so there's 2.2 billion other references in the Western world and you're rising above them to the yeah. top, to the, to the very tippy top. Because not only are you gonna get preferred by the Google search engine, voice.com goes to like the first page immediately. They didn't have, you know, Lyft had to spend a billion dollars marketing yeah. to actually crawl up to their level and, and voice goes there immediately. And that's the first benefit. The second benefit is you don't need Google. Like as, yeah. as soon as I've had, here, here's, a, here's a really great domain name, simple rule. I'm gonna build a business, I'm going to put it on a domain, and if someone hears the name of my business for one second, they're gonna be able to find it for the rest of their life. And if I can pass that one second rule, um, uh, Michael, what's your charity? Hope. Yeah. Yeah. But my, Michael, Michael, you got a business that'll actually tell me that'll save my life. What's it called? Alarm. Yeah. You know, Michael, I know like, we'll, something. Alert. Okay. Like one word, one one second, and I will I will bypass Google and remember it the rest of my life because my third grade teacher wrapped my knuckles when I spelled yeah. it wrong. And, and, and so we're tapping into the zeitgeist of, the, of all of Western civilization with that brand. And if Google ever goes out of business, and if, 
And if, if anybody ever decides they're just going to suppress you down to page 37 on the search results. Which is what they do, breathe. right? And you yeah. can breathe. You have oxygen too. Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly right. It's a snorkel, right? It's a snorkel in the ocean of Google. And, uh, you know, for lack of a better analogy, that's exactly right. It's like, okay, you want to push me down? Well, all I got to do is market outside of you. And I got a direct frictionless point of contact with my customers and potential customers. Andrew, Andrew there's another word that comes to mind, which is pristine. People yeah. have described- oh, You know who owns pristine.com? Who? Me. Really? Yeah, pristine.com and flawless.com. Okay, you're my hero now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I was laughing because I heard your interview with uh, Raul. Um, you know, he kept talking about, you know, Bitcoin is the most pristine collateral on the planet, which I 100% agree with. And I was just laughing because, you know, I think he said 15 times the word pristine between the two of you. And I was like, yes, pristine.com. So it's a beautiful word and, and, it, and it's relevant in, in how you think about domain names. Mm -hmm. Because when I tell you I have, um, I have an offering like Google Voice. And, and the way you get to it is you type voice.google.com or maybe you type google.voice.com or maybe you type googlevoice.com or maybe, or maybe it's google.com slash voice or and then, yeah. And I, then when I create a sign and the sign is like vo voice by Google or Google Voice, or it, it breaks that design rule because there's something you could take away when I just have the word voice.com, the way that the human mind works and, and you know, the way we've been conditioned is, is human beings, they suppress something which is constant in their environment and they focus on the signal. The yeah. signal is voice. The dot com is understood and expected. And if you're not, if you're anything but the dot com, you are encumbering your brand sure. because you cannot say my brand is voice because you're on voice.io. So your brand is voice.io or get you voice or five voice or Google voice or whatever. You're encumbered. If you're, you're not, odd, a, um, you're encumbered. Yeah. You're odd and confusing. Yes. And dilutive. And yes. so this is a mistake for Google. It's a massive mistake. A yes. company with a hundred billion dollars in capital, and they and it's worth a billion dollars to them to own the word voice, <clears throat> and they're and they're naughty and they're oblivious to this because first of all, it's they're just odd and confusing. They're confusing their customer. They're diluting their own brand. It undermines 100%. Google. Yeah. <clears throat> it's bad for they're diluting a billion dollar you know hundred billion dollar Google brand. They're diluting the voice brand and and. They're, uh, they're imposing on their customers. <clears throat> and, and by the way, it's inadvertently, the only way to get to Google Voice is to go through Google. And if I happen yeah. to use another search engine, like you know, Microsoft's Bing or something like that, now they're at the mercy of other search engines, you know, and-, and, and It's so silly. It really is. It's, it's an ego thing. You know, we've had a lot of interactions with Google and the way that they think about domain names. They just basically, their, their opinion is we are Google. We don't need the domain. And my point is, well, you know, 
the number one rule in e-commerce is you need to create the least amount of steps. I mean, I would love to know how much did Amazon's revenues increase when they introduced the one-click buy? And the reason is because you reduce the amount of friction between what somebody's intent is and the outcome. And so if my intent is to find Google Voice and I have to go, okay, I go to Google, I type voice, now I see a link, I go to there, now I log into my account at Google, and then I'm presented with a hundred icons and I gotta go scroll through them and I click on voice. It's like, you know, it's as useless as, you know, phone apps. It's like, well, phone apps were great when there was four apps on my phone, now there's a hundred, and now I gotta go, hey Siri, can you find this app for me? Because I don't feel like scrolling through seven pages of apps. It, it, you're just, yeah, you're, you're diluting the brand, you're diluting the experience. Well, yeah, I mean, it happens because they're engineers and maybe they didn't get their liberal arts degrees because you ask, <laughs> what would William Shakespeare say? Yes. Right? What's in a name? Right? Yeah. What's in a name? What would William Shakespeare say? What would any poet say? What would Virgil say? What would, you know, any of them would be shuddering in their grave right now. But I get another kick out of it. I mean, can you imagine the hilarity of it when you're on Amazon Alexa trying to ask Alexa to get you a Google voice account? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, just, it, gets, it just gets so complicated. Yes. So, so less the, the elegance of the word that, by the way, you know, people talk about, again, we, we talked about Bitcoin being pristine collateral and a single word domain is, is a pristine domain. Bitcoin is sovereign immortality in cyberspace. It's mm -hmm. the idea is you put something into, uh, you know, into a, a cauldron of encrypted energy and it'll be there a hundred years, pristine. Yeah. Not going well, a domain name. Digital sovereignty. sovereignty. It, a, Digital domain, sovereignty. It's sovereign. It's immortal sovereignty for your brand, and um, if you, it's it's like I I own a, I own the best restaurant in Manhattan, and I make a I make ten million dollars a year, on, and I have you know this restaurant on Central Park, and everybody loves it, and then my landlord comes at the end of my lease and says, I see you're making ten million a year. I read about it in the whatever journal, and so your rent just went up. <laughs> Eight million dollars. I'm going to yeah. leave you with two million dollars of the cash flow. The other eight million. Hey, two million is better than nothing. And yeah. your choice is give up fifty or seventy-five percent of your cash flow. Or, and by the way, they, they may be like, I'm just going to take it all. Uh, I mean, I liked what you're doing, ten million a year, and so I'm setting yeah. up my yo-yo restaurant for ten million a year, and you're out. And you're out. People know where to find the food. You know, they don't care who the owner is. You're out. Go, you know, move to the Bronx. Any good businessman or woman would look at this and, and they, I mean, it's like, you know, when you're three years old, you either know or you don't know. It's yeah. like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to invest all of my life's energy in building this business. I'm going to buy the dirt underneath my building if yeah. it matters. Right, right. If it, like, if it doesn't matter, if, if you're selling insurance online, it you know, real estate in Whatever. the world doesn't matter. Yeah. But if you're selling real insurance online, real estate in cyberspace matters a heck of a lot. Sure does. And so, so if some people got it early, right? Jeff Bezos got it 20 years ago. He figured it yeah. out. 
Other people figure it out a little bit later. Some people have figured it out, but then they screw it up. Like Google kind of got it with Google, but then they screwed it up with Google Voice. And now everybody in the world, you know, is getting this uh, lesson, you know, post-pandemic. If you didn't quite figure out that you needed to sell and market and service all your stuff through your website, yeah. let, us, let us put it a different way. You're not allowed to do it any other way yeah. if you wanted to. And so yeah. maybe you didn't want to, maybe you didn't think you needed to. Welcome to the world of you don't have a choice. Every, as Mike Tyson so eloquently said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. So this is a great segue. You, you, you said something, another uh, uh, great analogy that you made uh, in the interview. Uh, I don't know if it was Pomp or Ralph, uh, but you said that uh, Bitcoin, you know, by the way, right, uh, big news, first CEO in the history uh, of public markets to take your treasury and convert it into Bitcoin, right? Um, whether you like Bitcoin or don't like Bitcoin, uh, you know, that's a conversation better served on, on, on some of these other interviews you've done. But it's, you know, for me, crystal clear, you understand it. And I think your track record of being ahead of the game on all of the things that we've already discussed here, right? Uh, you made the analogy that Bitcoin is the steel framing of this new economy in the same way that builders who used to build with bricks and mortar in Europe or with wooden houses in the United States. And that was great until people wanted to go past two stories or five stories if you were stone or whatever it might be. But suddenly the invention of steel uh, allows you to build a hundred story building. And that was a phenomenal analogy that really lit off a light bulb in my head. And, you know, uh, of course, the builders who build in brick and mortar, and of course, the builders who build in uh, uh, wood are going to push back and they say, well, you know, this steel thing is untested and we don't think you should do that. It's like straight out of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, you know, Hank Reardon invents this new form of steel. It's an alloy. It's far more durable, safer, et cetera. But all the other guys that manufacture railroad uh, 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 ties say, oh, no, this is unproven. You can't do that. You can't do that. We, we got to get the government to ban that, right? The Bitcoin comes along and it completely disrupts this, this you know, fiat world that we, that we lived in. And in the same way that steel disrupted wood and bricks and mortar. And I heard that and the light bulb that went off my head is this guy's spot on. And the point that you forgot to mention is that that steel framing needs a foundation to be built on. And exactmatchbrand.com is the bedrock foundation on which you can build that 100-story building. If you try to build a 100-story building on a foundation made of sand, you're not going to last very long. And I think that that is an absolutely crystal clear analogy because if you try to build Amazon on, you know, tryamazon.com, go amazon.com, amazon.io, Amazon never gets to the point they are today. It doesn't happen. Is that, do you, do you think that's a, 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 a fair extrapolation of your analogy? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it is a very, very good metaphor. Um, a great domain name in the .com English sphere is like having, uh, having clear 
ownership forever of one or more city blocks in Manhattan mm -hmm. built on granite, right? Granite, granite. Is, is, it's not dirt, it's granite, right? Yeah, it's, granite. It's bedrock. What you yeah. want is a rock solid foundation and a deed forever to that, and no one's gonna take that away. That the likelihood that someone is going to change the meaning of pristine in the next hundred years in the English language, or not going to happen. Likelihood that they're going to change the connotation of hope yeah. for a billion people in the next yeah. hundred years, impossible. It's just not going to happen. So, so uh, I think that all these businesses, as they all dematerialize their products and services then all of their traditional sales marketing service storefronts, all of them dematerialized to cyberspace. If you want sovereignty in cyberspace, you must own your own domain. And of course, everybody gets the fact they gotta own a domain. Just most of them have a garbagey bad one. By the way, to, I'll take another, I'll take one more example here, which is um, IBM. IBM spent, it must have spent billions of dollars marketing Watson. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody heard of Watson? Watson was the future of AI and the future of business intelligence and the future of everything for IBM. IBM never bothered to buy Watson.com. I, I actually the tried for the to brand. sell it to them and they didn't want to buy it. I, it just, it was like, uh, I, I don't, when I, Google I, I can't it, even... <laughs> when I Google it, it's like a pharmaceutical company that owns yeah. it, that doesn't yeah. use it, that's got a warehouse. And I thought, you guys spent billions of, you put billions of dollars of effort behind commercializing a product offering on a, a domain space that you don't own. And now you got to pay Google to get you to the top of the word in the search engine. It's like renting obscenely expensive real estate it's just it, it, here's one that's going to blow your mind uh, the, the, the the remnants of the original john paul getty company uh uh is a real estate investment trust uh, publicly listed called uh, uh, uh getty realty and they own getty.com uh and they realized at some point that they just they, they don't really need it right? they're, they're a real estate investment trust and they're, they're not really consumer facing they've got you know they, they've been operating at getty realty and so they approached me and said you know would you like to sell Getty.com for us, right? And it was obviously first thing that comes to mind, you know, Getty Images, massive company. I mean, these guys, it's like a monopoly on every image in the world. Yeah, Getty, and, Getty needs that in cyberspace, and they would like to get a hundred million people to go to Getty. But according to them, they, they don't even want to make an offer. They don't want. They just no, no. And and this is the stuff. This is why I love speaking to you because you know. You get it, and you got it 20 years ago. You got it 25 years ago, right? It's like, and I'm trying to, this is what I do on a daily basis, try to understand where is the disconnect? How is it that you understood this 25 years ago? And for you, it's so intuitive and clear. We have this conversation, we're preaching to the converted, but it's like, how can there be a disconnect from this is so obvious. I think everything that you and I have said in this conversation is very difficult for somebody to dispute. And then you have somebody like Getty Images who says, we don't need Getty.com. Well, why would we need that? We're Getty Images. We don't need Getty.com. And by the way, there's so many other business units of Getty that isn't involved just in images, right? And it's like, 
no, we don't, we don't need that. And, and I don't even know how to argue with that person. You know, how? You know, I think um, you just got to be part architect and part artist. You, you have to be, well, a polymath, right? You have to, stand, you have to understand about poetry and liberal yes. arts, read Shakespeare, and you got to be an architect. You got to be an artist. Like I, signage. <clears throat> You put a sign on the side of, uh, of a building or whatever. What's a better sign? Micro strategy or strategy? Strategy yeah. is a better sign. If yeah. it, by the way, what's a better sign? Coca-Cola or Coke? If you put yeah. Coke on, the, it blocks. And, and if yeah. you look at a brand, you want four letters generally because four letters is about the minimum you can have to be unique, but it's the maximum you can have to get a form factor, which in a split second burns yes. into someone's brain. If yeah. you ever look, I look at boats, people like name their boats, you know, the second Marjorie majesty of the sea. So, and I'm like, you know, by the time you write 47 characters on the side <laughs> of the thing, it's four point font. I can't read it. Okay, so have you, you know, so you want to, I'd like to say, Andrew, you want to be a good marketer, but I think there are a lot of people in the marketing business that still think that misspelling a common word is good marketing idea. And oh, so absolutely. I, I, there First are a lot of experience, I can tell you. And, and, and they just don't have common sense. And I'll give you one more example. This is architecture. A very famous architect who will remain nameless, but you would know his name, built a building at MIT and wanted to be unique. And so they built the building, so it's all curvilinear. There are no, there's no classic form. Like yeah. uh, Howard Rourke would be going nuts about this in, a, in, you know, in, in the Fountainhead. This yeah. architect, this newfangled architect, who's famous and rich and makes a fortune, builds this curvilinear building, and it's like, well, there's no straight lines through it, and there's no rectangular or square rooms in it and nothing is ordinary and it's odd and it looks like spaceship like space aliens excreted it from a blob you go into the building it's like well you can't find anything anything and if you haven't been there you can't make it to any room so <clears throat> so if you have a million people here going in the building nobody everybody gets lost and they're like yep. yeah everybody gets lost here we think it's kind of everybody gets lost trying to find where they're going in the building. And then here's a better one, Andrew. I get lost because, of course, it does this, and it's odd. And the guy with his intellectual arrogance imposed this twisted thing on people because he was bored. Then I get into a conference room, and the conference room spins in a spiral you ever been into a, a spiraling conference room that does this and look up okay it causes vertigo andrew <laughs> so you walk into but I, I can't make this shit up yeah you know, part of my friends you can't make no, it up I, I swear a brilliant more than architect designs a building where everyone gets lost when they try to meet there and then when they go into the conference room, they get vertigo. And I'm not lying, you fall down on your head. You yep. literally get vertigo and you fall down in the room. And so I look at the tour guide. I say, yeah, this is, yeah, this is giving me vertigo. And they go, yeah, it used to be worse. So we had to come in and put these four large posts in the room to give people a frame of reference yeah. furniture so that their inner ear wouldn't spin 
And they paid money, a very wealthy person paid money to a very wealthy architect to do this, to do this. this damage on people. Now, the reason that's not a, a non sequitur is that's what it's like to pick a bad domain. It is. Like put your brand on a bad domain. You confuse everyone, they get lost, you give them vertigo. It's inflicting harm on your customer. And if, if you don't get the fact that people get lost and fall down when they try to come and do business with you, then I just can't explain it, right? Give up, right? Like it should, the best way to communicate to people probably is you start to show them that in the modern era, when you type their domain, they get spell checked out. I can't ask for your thing, even if I wanted to, because it doesn't work on speech recognition. I can't mm -hmm. type it in. You get spell checked out. Nobody, you know, put a focus group of a hundred people together, guys, and ask them whether they can remember and, and use your brand in one second. And if the answer is yes, it's a good domain. And if the answer yeah. is no, stop giving me all these legal, you know, by the way, what is it? Every one of these guys with a bad domain and a bad brand, it's because they're cheap. And every one of them—that's all it is. That's all spent it is. Hundreds of millions of dollars marketing and giving their money for Super Bowl ads and stupid magazine ads, and and they spend it with count the amount of money they spend with Google and Facebook. If you have to spend money with Google and Facebook on marketing, it's probably because your domain was weak. And if your yeah. domain was stronger, your advertising budget would probably be falling through the floor repeat return customers and this is exactly at the heart of my thesis on what the value of a domain name is what you're trying to establish is what is the cost of customer acquisition and how are you reducing the cost of customer acquisition over a reasonable business multiple and therein lies your value right there's some brand equity but it's about reducing your cost of customer acquisition and the repetition of that customer it's not you know, once you acquire a customer with a Google ad, you got them to your website once. And if you have a bad domain name and your brand doesn't match your domain name, then you got to spend that same amount of money to get them back. But if you got a sticky domain name, which, which is intuitive to your customer, whether you bought them the first time or they came to you organically the first time, they're sticky and they're there for life. You don't need to keep ingraining the brand into their mind it was a household name day one now there's one more point that's worth making here because you're jogging me you're triggering me again you, you make me think things i haven't thought in a long time because you're in the business and i just happen to have had a passion for the business at a point yes word of mouth word of mouth but it's not just that an insane a good domain name will help your customers come back to you it's a good domain name will um, allow your customers to tell their friends to come to you. Yes. Yeah. If you want to go viral and if you want to spread through the ecosystem by a word of mouth, if you want people, if, the most powerful know, marketing in the world, by the way, you want your customers to send a text message to their friends to go to you. You want them to type it in their Twitter. You want them to tell people when they talk, you know, you know, before we had cyberspace, we used to use the sonic net, you know, the sound net. We talk to each other and hopefully we will do that again sometime <laughs> soon. And, and so 
when you actually brand yourself with a domain that you can't spell, it, and it gets me to mind an interesting point, which we didn't touch on, which is, which is when I say the word, it needs to be unique if you hear it. And so mm -hmm. that's the problem with lift. Mm -hmm. I really love, you know, if I, if I have a word and there's 16 different, uh, different um, spellings, variations, for it, but yeah. uh, they all sound the same, then it doesn't travel via audio in a yep. unique fashion. We so, call that the radio test. In, in the domain world, we call it the radio test. If you hear it on the radio, do you know how to spell it? Do you know which version it is? And if it doesn't pass the radio test, it's not a good domain, period. So this, it all comes down to, if you've got a great domain, it's gonna hit on a resonating frequency across all of these communication mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And that resonating frequency might very well be a million times more resonant, right? Yeah. Than, than, than your other idea. So Agreed. we could conclude that in general, our view is that uh, this has been left to the domain of marketers for the past 20 years and CEOs didn't get as involved. I mean, the idea that mm -hmm. a CEO would delegate to a head of marketing would delegate to a, a brand marketing picking agency. And by the way, I've hired them in the, fast, in the past, Andrew. I have never had a good idea or a good brand name proposed to me by someone that does brand name picking for a living. Yes. They always picked awful ones that would not resonate, that would not travel because they wanted to be unique. Unique, for the same reason that your architect built that awful building. Unique, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And instead, and that's why, but, and, and so then we get to the good news. The good news is in the year 2020, every CEO knows they have to rebuild their brand, their product, and, and for the virtual era. You mm -hmm. have to rewrap your product and sell it virtually, not through a storefront. And that means they're taking over that job from the CMO. And every CMO has figured out that they better be able to sell their stuff off their domain. And then the last piece of good news is there's a lot of good domains with great names that have not been commercialized. And, and there's an opportunity uh, for, for these companies that have billion dollar plus brands to come and commercialize on, uh, on billion dollar plus domains. We didn't touch on it, but I didn't want to sell voice for 30 million. I thought it was worth a lot more. I'd rather, I agree. Know, I think, you know, it's worth a billion dollars, you know, it's just all like of all these domains are, they're, they're it's all, the, the market and the price, the Delta between the market and the price, is at least an order of magnitude, possibly 10 orders of magnitude. I think when it's all said and done in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years from now, when the entire world has been dematerialized and is now living in the ether, you know, one of these names is, as you said, a block on the park in Manhattan. And what is that work, right? What, what, is, that, what, what is that building work? 121 uh, uh, Park Ave. Andrew, it's not even, that's not even a strong enough metaphor because it's more like having a block in the center of every town on earth yeah. and every yeah. town that's ever exactly. going to get constructed until the human race decides to abandon English. Yeah. 
And that, you know, a thousand years from now, if they abandon English and they've, and they've given up all hope, Andrew, when they no longer have hope, when that's no longer important, hope won't be important. As, so I think you can look out one, two, three, four hundred years to every place on earth and you can say, if you have a good word, a pristine word, right, mm -hmm. whatever that word is, uh, and, um, and a people continue to function, then that'll be, uh, that will be valuable. And it, it's, not, it's not an asset that can be impaired by a municipal politician or po policy, a state policy, a federal mm -hmm. policy, a global policy. A lot of real estate's impaired assets right now for this reason yes. or the other, but, but yep. cyberspace is cyberspace and it's a, a different thing. And it's, uh, it's a magical thing, right? You can create uh, magical, like, like Getty images. They ought to be selling, or someone like them, they ought to be selling art digitally into a billion households at $10 a month. And it ought to be a hundred billion dollar a year business selling digital art rights to display your art on your wall. And that's yep. just going to sit on art.com, right? Or mm -hmm. some, probably art.com is better than getty.com for that matter. I, I think art.com is one of the three to five most valuable domains in the world. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're uh, united we see eye to eye. in this interest. I, I, I want to be... I want to be conscious of your time, uh, but there are so many topics still that I'd love to dive into, but we'll have to bring you back on. Uh, uh, unless you want to continue, I'm happy to go as long as you want to go. But, um, you know, there, there's a the whole concept of- We can wrap up uh, any in the next 10 minutes. If you, want. So, you know, there's this whole concept of, uh, you know, the decentralized DNS, you know, which is sort of ties in with, with, you know, with Bitcoin and crypto and, you know, we're moving, we're decentralizing money. We're decentralizing, you know, sovereignty. And um, it makes sense to me that the DNS, the root zone, should ultimately maybe be decentralized. You know, there's problems with sort of, you know, these mechanisms for dispute. Um, you know, once you got it, if there's no mechanism to dispute and somebody's got a trademark and they've got legitimate rights and interest into that name and they, they missed the boat, whatever, you know, there, there should be some mechanism. I'm not sure how you solve that governance problem, but there's a lot of smarter people than me working on it. Um, are there any other existential threats that you can think of to domains? And even more importantly, you know, uh, being early in everything you've done, what can you think of even just one use case for domain names? Because I believe the utility of domain names is going to expand exponentially. I think that you know it's going to be geofencing, it's going to be identifying physical objects in the digital world, just in the way that it identifies a company in the digital world now. I think the whole pseudo-anonymous, you know, society will move, uh, you know, will be represented through domain names. Um, but are there any utilities that you, you can imagine? Have you, have you thought about this at all? On, on, on uh, commercialized utilities for domain names in the future? You know, I, I'm, I'm not uh, terribly concerned about, you know, the, the underlying ownership mechanics of domain names right now and the need for decentralization. I think it, it may grow as an issue over time, but, uh, but the body of law is pretty settled and, I, and I, I, I don't see they have the same kind of regulatory 
uh, uncertainty and ambiguities that that are threatening to certain other businesses. Yes. Mm-hmm. I I think ultimately, you know, um, what's missing is we need a lot more education for uh, for rank and file executives, the CEOs and the CMOs of the world, uh, and the C- and the investors. I think that for the most part, people just don't really they don't understand it. And the, and the number one thing we can do is educate them. I remember, I remember uh, talking to people 10 years ago, I talked to people on Wall Street about Apple stock or Apple, and they just wanted to, they're always like, well, Apple, you know, well, as soon as it goes up, we're going to sell it and buy some HP and IBM. So you don't too much exposure to Apple. And they, and their entire businesses and they existed to sell tech when it got to be too much of your portfolio and sell Apple when it got to be too much of tech. And they thought that that was value added. And, and that's, there's a lot of conventional thinking like that. And of course, eventually Apple became the most valuable company in the world because it ate everything else. And that's what I told them. They ignored me. Uh, I wrote the book. They didn't read the book. Read the book. It says in 2012, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google are going to eat the world. Just read the book. Nobody reads books anymore. What I what I learned here, Andrew, is if you kind of understand the future, you have an opinion. If you have a conviction, don't bother to write the book. No one's going to read it. Just buy all the stuff that you can buy, right? And then tweet about it. And then maybe <laughs> and you are, you know create educational content on youtube and let yeah. the educate and and let let the one hour two hour half hour content circulate and then all of the people that have been completely closed to this idea at some point it clicks in their mind oh art.com oh, the most valuable use of any domain is is not to sell something on the domain i mean yeah. if you look at the stack of hierarchy it's it's um if I sell, if I do 100,000 transactions a year mm-hmm. on com, well, selling something, that's something. If, uh, if I'm a holding company of art, you know, it's worthless. It's not that valuable, right? That's yeah. the holding company. I sell yes. the art, it's retail, it's more valuable. If, on the other hand, I let people share art, or I, actually, if I, if I, load up all of John Singer Sargent's library and I get the digital rights from the museum that owns it. And I let anybody put John Singer Sargent on their 55 or 85 inch big screen television and uh, pay me a dollar a month or $10 a month for the Spotify of, we need the Spotify of art, right? Mm-hmm. And I put mm-hmm. that on art.com that gets more valuable. And then if I, if I let artists paint their own art, upload their digital image to art.com and I'm like the YouTube of art. And then I can discover unique art. Like I can discover unique music and then I create an art playlist and I can share it for $9 a month. Well, I mean, there's a billion people in the world that would like art. And I got to tell you, I got, I got walls with 80 inch super high def screens and they're showing beautiful art. And to me, I'm, I'm, I think I have taste. I appreciate it as much and more yes. so than if you gave me the real thing because I can change my art to suit my mood and I mm-hmm. can flip through a thousand masterpieces. Just like nobody wants to have the band Led Zeppelin play for them every morning for breakfast. What they want 
is Spotify or Amazon Music or Apple Music play whatever they want every morning for breakfast through high def speakers. So as I stack up these domains, you know, when I have little creativity and little vision, I see art is just, okay, it's worth 25 grand. And when I imagine art.com as the YouTube of art, and by the way, I, for me, I pay $10 a month to YouTube because I don't want the ads. Yeah. Right? right. So when I imagine a billion people getting art streaming at $10 a month, and I think about $10 billion a month, and I think about $100 billion a year, and I imagine myself keeping $20 billion of it, and therefore I got $20 billion a year, and I put a 20 multiple on that, and what's 20 times 20 billion? 400, 400 billion. billion. When I imagine $400 billion built on this little word called art, then I start to see the potential of it. Now, the, what's in a word? You got to have the word. The rest of the execution is quite hard, right? As yeah. we know, it's, it's not enough to just do this. But, but if I was but ahead of marketing. hard or harder on another domain, right? So, so, so yeah. it, you know, that's take the apples to apples, right? It, you know, you're going to do the work, whether it's on art.com or, you know, try my art.com or subscribe to art.com, whatever it is work is the same or harder on anything but art.com. And so it's, you know, take that out of the equation. You got to do the work, right? You got to make the investment. You got to build the business. But the underlying asset is not the same, right? Your outcome is not going to be the same. You know, this is a great sort of segue into just sort of glimpsing into the future, extrapolate this idea out. And, and it's where I believe, you know, the concept of, of Bitcoin or crypto is dovetailing with the, the you know domain names and decentralization, and you know it's look at the look, you know, look at the trends in investments, right? So now you have micro shares. You can take a slice of a share, right? And you've got you know fractional ownership of collector cars, fractional ownership you know through something like Rally Road, and you got fractional ownership of masterpiece art through through Masterworks.io. Right? And, and, and there's more of these companies popping up. You get a fractional ownership of a Michael Jordan jersey. Uh, now, let's take that concept and apply it to uh, 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 commercial assets. In the same way, you know, Sam Zell basically you know, commercialized the idea of a real estate investment trust. Right? To centralize the ownership of the world's most important <laughs> commercial assets, share the equity among these people, and unlock the value of the asset itself, into exponentially greater economic benefit, right? And I think the same can be applied to uh, domain names. I think the same will be applied to domain names in the same way that real estate investment trusts you know, were created. I think there will be some form of that. These domain names are ultimately gonna become so valuable that so very few people will own a whole domain name. In the same way that Bitcoin is gonna become so valuable if our thesis, which I share with you, uh, by the way, for full disclosure, I am a, a shareholder of MicroStrategy. I don't think I even told you that, but uh, I, I believe in your vision and, and I am a, a shareholder of MicroStrategy. But it, 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 you know, in the same way that very few people a decade from now, certainly two decades from now, will own a full Bitcoin, you know, it, it, it's a reserve asset in which that, that enables tremendous economic benefit to be built on top. A domain name will become so valuable 
that it will be fractionally owned and leased or you know, some other mechanism be utilized by a commercial entity or a decentralized entity, whoever knows, you know, who knows what it'll be in 20 years, but some entity will commercialize it and create economic benefit that will, some portion will dribble down to the people who have the equity and the underlying asset. I think that all of these things that are the, 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 the first layer, the, the, the underlying asset of the various classes of commercialization, uh, I, I just can't imagine a world in which they're not going to go up parabolically over the next 20 years as we you know, go full tilt into this dematerialization of the world. Well, I think, I think it's reasonable to think of them as, an, as a, a new asset class. Like mm -hmm. commercial real estate was an asset class and domains are a cyber asset class and, and you can do, you'll do whatever with those assets as you would do with the, the physical mm -hmm. um, complements of them. You know, when you, when we, uh, you, you've triggered me to think that, you know, a really great domain is the central node in a network. And so 100%. most valuable domains are going to be the base, the principal central node in a network of art or a network of video or a network of search or information or a network of <clears throat> retail or whatever it is. And so the, the except to take it down one more layer, this is actually the base layer network, right? This is the network of everything. It's the key. Yeah. It's the keystone. And so, yes. And, the, and, and, the world's going to have more networks, right? I mean, all the, every successful tech company is, in essence, <clears throat> um, it's in essence a, a, a technology network that, de that has dematerialized a product, a service, mm -hmm. or an idea. Mm -hmm. And so, as we see the dematerialization of more things, these networks will grow in time, and then and the multiply. Will the value of the underlying domain will accrete and and then the elegance of the domain name will drive the friction, uh, you know, the effectiveness of that brand and that network. And if it's a bad domain, it'll be proportional friction. And uh, some some domains are so crippling as you won't be able to build a network. Other domains, you know, you can do it on that domain, but it's going to be a lot more risky, a lot more expensive. And some domains are are going to work great. And I guess. Yeah. That's probably our best note to end this on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks um, for having me on your, uh, on your podcast, Andrew. I appreciate it. This was a great conversation, and uh, I hope I can convince you to come back on. I want, you know, I'm going to go through back to this interview, and there, there are so many topics that we could have dove you know, further into and segues and rabbit holes. Um, you know, uh, I think we've got you know, close to two hours, and it's uh, – uh, I feel like we've just skimmed the surface, but I think that was an excellent note to end on. Uh, I think that we see eye to eye on, on all things uh, dematerialization. And uh, it's an exciting future. It's an exciting future. And I think, you know, my hat is off to you. I think you are, you know, uh, paving the way. I, I, I love your analogy. You know, just as a closing note, you, you made an analogy about being, you know, everybody thought it was impossible to run a four minute mile until the first guy did it. And uh, uh, one, of the co one of the guys that joins me often on this show, Shane Coltra, will appreciate this. He's, a, he's a, a competitive runner. And it's like, you know, you were the first guy to break the four minute mile in terms of, uh, 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 you know, the treasury uh, conversion to Bitcoin. And, 
I, I think the floodgates are now open and uh, I don't think it'll be long before there's a bunch of other people running behind you. Um, so uh, my yeah, hat is I off to you. Uh, you know, I, I, this is what leadership and innovation is all about. People need to take bold moves with conviction and, uh, you know, just ignore the haters, ignore the, the people that don't understand. You got people say, well, you know, he's going to sell all that Bitcoin. And I'm laughing. I'm like, man, somebody offered this guy $22 million for his domain name. And he said, look, I'll get on the phone with you. Right. And eventually it was at 30 million. It was like, all right, just, you know, I'll let you pull it out of my hands. Right. You know, you, you got strong hands on the domains. I imagine it's going to be strong hands in the Bitcoin. And I think that uh, your thesis is correct. And uh, I'm excited to come along for the ride. Yeah, I, I would leave all, all your viewers with <clears throat> the thought that, um, you know, these, I sold Voice for $30 million because I felt like we needed to put a peg <clears throat> in the market to set, uh, to set it. Yes. But it's worth a billion. Yes. <laughs> these domains are billion dollar assets. I did the early one. I'm like the guy that sold the first Picasso, you know, so that people would know that Picasso is art, but I've got the vault of the other Picassos. Yeah. And, and I would rather commercialize them for a hundred X the money. And yes. this is kind of a wake up call. Hopefully that people will realize that domains are insanely valuable. And if you're still insanely spending, valuable, for everybody that's spending the billions of dollars on Google and Facebook advertising <clears throat> because their domain is weak, yeah. they might want to repurpose some of that energy uh, to, to, to do it the right way. And yes. uh, <clears throat> with that, uh, thanks. I had more fun on this one. I haven't talked about this subject for, with anybody for years and years and years. So it's nice to meet a kindred spirit. And uh, all the best to you guys. I, I, I saw your passion, uh, uh, you know, in some of these interviews, just in talking about the main names. And I said, I, I got to have a conversation with this guy. Um, and uh, so thank you. And uh, I think our audience will thank you as well. And thank you for putting that peg in the market and, uh, you know, giving us a ring up to lift the market to. And now, now it's my job to, you know, take it to the $100 million level. And then, you know, in a few years, it'll be, uh, you know, 500 million and then, uh, you know, 15 years, it'll be a billion dollars. Andrew, I give you the baton. <laughs> Thank you. I take it with pleasure. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Michael. We'll see you next time, I hope. I'm sure. <laughs>